Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com How can, how can Stig have written three books already? I mean, it is, that is the difference between women and men. I swear to God. No, just got you see, no, but you can't say that. because I can't, I just no, have. Because I mean, some of my most favourite, favourite authors are incredibly prolific and they've got kids and they're women. It's not just men. But he's also a DJ. Yes. But that's a, that's... He's not a full-time writer. But, but that's OK. You wrote a book whilst having a job. It was during a lockdown and I didn't really have a job. <laughs> I'm just on a mission. I think it's absolutely fair enough to call out the men when they need to be called out. But I think being able to do something with your day between 10 and 3, uh, I don't think that makes you a bad person. Well, all I'll say is when I did breakfast shows, when I did breakfast shows, I just spent all afternoon asleep in bed. Well, there you go. <laughs> Maybe. I sh- that's when I should have started writing novels. I think you I should. was just a lightweight. I have to accept no, it. No, no, BC can't say that either because sometimes I, I, I find that kind of... You need to be doing something with every hour of your day thing just exhausting, don't you? To think about yeah. that in other people's lives. Because I would quite happily just do my day's work and go home and bother my children and annoy my cats Mm. and take my dog for a walk and cook some supper Mm. and watch something terrible on television. I'm six episodes into The Night Agent, Uh. a ten-episode non-starter on Netflix that I've started, so I'll finish. That's my day. Yes. Is, it any, is, it a, is that a recommendation from you? No. Watch that. Oh. Avoid it. Don't oh, get, avoid it. No, but, don't get caught in the trap. But you're in the trap now. I'm so in the trap now. I've got to finish it. Okay. Well, can I do a positive recommend? Yes. I've already told you. Um, there's a great book called At the Table by Claire Stewart. It's out in paperback now. Um, it has actually been uh, been regularly um, endorsed in the Times and the Sunday Times as being a book that you should read. It's fantastic. It's just about a, the year in the life of a family where the middle-aged couple announced their separation at a family lunch right at the start of the book and things just you really start to care about everybody in this family unit um there's a son who's about to get married there's a daughter who's a little bit older and isn't in a a fixed relationship and is i don't know it's i really it's a big recommend from me at the table out now it's got a very distinctive cover because there's a young woman with her face it's fallen into a cake so have you already managed to finish in memoriam before starting that Oh, I read it. I bought Immemorium weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you see there, you could just write books instead of read them. Yeah. Maybe Stig doesn't read any. Oh, that'll be it. Except he's really well read as well. Anyway, who are we and why are we here? Well, this is Jane and Fee and this is Off Air. We're here every day to have a little bit of a spat with each other. (laughs) The podcast that comes your way. I've said this already, haven't I? Monday to Thursday. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Okay, um, so our guest is... Who's our guest today? Our guest is Jimmy Famarewa, and his podcast is called Where's Home, Really? And you might know Jimmy as one of the judges on MasterChef and also on a Channel 4 programme with Jamie Oliver called The Great Challenge. I didn't see that, actually, did you? No. 
No, I didn't. Um, okay, there's well. a lot of telly to catch up with, and we can't we can't watch absolutely everything. But first of all, let's have some of your emails. Oh, okay, that was the, just a tease. That was just a tease. Okay. These are the emails that have come into Jane and Fee at Times Radio, and I really wanted to mention this one. It's from Jules, who says, "I've been listening to you uh, talking about the reality of a first night with a new baby versus the expectation." And I wanted to share my experience with you. I'm a paediatrician and I've been looking after babies and children in hospital for 10 years before my own daughter was born. After a very difficult 24 hours culminating in an emergency cesarean, I was left alone with my new baby for the first night. Well, I just switched into doctor mode. I was on shift and this was just another child I had to care for, albeit in my pyjamas with a large surgical scar and a slightly hysterical fervour. I stayed awake most of that night because that's what I'm trained to do and I provided pretty good care, something certainly to pop in the portfolio. It was only the next day when I saw my husband kiss my daughter on the head that the penny dropped, that this baby was actually mine and this particular shift was never going to end. It was only when we finally got home 24 hours later that I realised just how much I loved her. In the trauma and the surrealness of the first couple of days, I hadn't had time to stop, breathe and realise what a wonderful thing had just happened. Up until then, it had just been painful and messy. Um, Jules, thank you very much. She, she says that she wants to thank us for providing witty, warm, intelligent conversation as wonderful stress relief. Um, well, I'm really glad we've had that effect. We drive each other up the wall, Jules, but um, it's, it's really good to know um, that you've taken comfort and we hugely appreciate it. And actually, I do find that fascinating. And I think she's expressed it brilliantly. This particular shift was never going to end. I mean, that is parenthood, isn't it? It's, it's, I think it's that that plunges some, not all women, into really severe postnatal depression. It's that thumping great realisation that you've never cared so much in your life and that weight of care will simply never lift. Yeah, That's it is it. a massive change. Yeah, it's a huge change. But do yeah. you ever worry, um, because there's quite, I think there's quite a fine line between being honest and realistic about what motherhood entails, parenthood entails, and actually painting it in a rather darker than it needs to be huge it's just about it's about mid only middle, middle bec ground because it's it, it's not um do you know it's not part of our current culture to extol the joys of motherhood the trend at the moment is to go there with your authentic self and i think women who try and say i really love it and i'm happy especially actually women who want it to define their identity and to only be mums I think they, they're given quite a short shrift at the moment and I worry about that a tiny bit because it should be a club that everyone can join but it's not. Read more about the email about Molly May Haig. Oh, there's one from Sophie. Yeah, but I was actually... Um, this is where we were saying that we need to get a new folder, don't we? Very disorganised. Because uh, I might have put that in my pile of things that were coming out of the studio that... Uh, I've put in the bin. Don't worry, Sophie. I can find it. I can find it, but you might have to wait until tomorrow. No, I've got have it. Have you got it? Shuffle papers. Shuffle papers. So I made a documentary once about the changing uh, fashions of motherhood post-war, and one of the clips we used was so terrifying. It was from a kind of early evening chat show on the television, and it was a woman who was suffering from postnatal depression and she was literally brought on and spoken to as if she was something out of a zoo or a circus. 
You know, this woman can barely speak. Mm. She is suffering from postpartum depression. And she, it was just, it was one of the most uncomfortable things that I've ever listened to. Right. Uh, but it, you know, it was it was a happening. And the point of our documentary was to look at how the fashions of motherhood affect the individuals within those fashions. And it was about a good 10 years ago when the scummy mummies had just entered onto the scene Brilliant. with their really wonderful... Do you remember they used to do their gigs? They probably still do uh, in gold jumpsuits because they were just always on the receiving end of various bits of goo or, you know, something shooting out of a child's orifice. <laughs> they wore white, clean jumpsuits to do their thing. But that was a very new phenomenon to be able to tell you're all about your darkest side of motherhood. And we've gone from that place of regarding a really serious mental health problem in new mums as something to kind of poke and prod to actually being able to say, this might be your reality, you know, and we're all in it together. And we might be able to help each other in a very short space of time. I'll just tell you that out of interest. You can find it on the What's it called? Uh, it was called uh, Listen Without Mother. Right. Yeah, I don't really know why, actually, the producer chose that title. I think I was coming up with some wacky title. Yeah, I mean, I can see what it's based on, but I don't... Maybe, maybe you meant... Maybe it was just meant kind of don't sit there with your mum and listen to it's it. It's a sort of punny title that almost works. Yep. Mm. There were some dark bits and pieces in it. Uh, so this is the other part of Sophie's email. Sophie, if you weren't listening today, we read out your first bit about Molly May on the programme. And this is because Molly May has uploaded a YouTube video where she's talking about how overwhelmed she felt in the first months of motherhood. And Jane and I were saying that is a jolly good thing to do. Uh, Sophie goes on to say, another thing I wanted to mention is about single mums. I have a good relationship with the father of my kids, but it is much better and healthier now that we're not partners. When we split up, I had a lot of people tell me how sorry they were and how hard it must be. So I was brave and how I was so brave. And I found this very patronising and annoying. One day I was talking to my neighbour upstairs, who's also a single mum, and I told her my partner had moved out and she said, wow, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy and grateful for this response. For me, this was a much more appropriate reaction to the situation. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I wanted them to be happy for me that I'd made the right decision for my children, my family and me. And Sophie goes on to say, I'm not saying it's not difficult for many single parents but I just want to say we don't always need pity or to be looked down on as lesser families or broken families. My single parent family is a fixed family and me and my two daughters have a strong triangle of love and I've never been happier and then Sophie says P.S. My 70 year old dad recommended your show in the old place to me a few years ago so there's clearly no shortage of fantastic male role models in mine or my daughter's lives. Well he sounds a very sound individual yeah. doesn't he? Great. But how lovely Sophie and you are so right we need to move the bar on that very patronizing stereotypical yeah. vision of single parenting because it's just not many people's experience of it at all and no, it really isn't um, there's a hard relate going on there. Uh, Pamela says, um, hello, uh, attached is a map of Canada, uh, gloriously highlighted for your convenience. Now, this is because you got into... Did we both get confused yesterday by the sheer scale of the size of Canada? Oh, yes, and, and my bad, because I referred to the provinces as states, and they're not. It's not like America. 
their no, provinces. They aren't. They don't have states, do they? Um, no. You can understand why we get confused. I mean, it's basically the same country, isn't it? <gasps> I no, I didn't say that. Uh, various distances <laughs> came up while searching, says Pamela. But Google tells me that the driving distance between Vancouver in British Columbia and St John's in Newfoundland is four thousand and one point one miles. That's a very, very big country, isn't it? Huge. That is, I mean, Britain really rates itself, but we are absolutely tiny. <laughs> We're just this tiny, very self-involved, busybody little yeah. clutch of islands. So when you see a country that vast, doesn't it make you think how stupid it is that we mark out our cultural territories in the UK in the way that we do? So, you know, the idea that, uh, you have a northerner and a southerner who might be at war with each other when actually you can drive from one hometown to the other in under four hours. Well, no, I mean, it's like the gloriously parochial rivalry between Manchester and Liverpool, which has been dragging on now since they think the construction of the Manchester Ship Canal that yeah, caused that upset. That is truly pathetic. No, it is pathetic because they are they are separated, but I think it's 38 miles, 38 minutes it takes to drive between Liverpool and Manchester. And <laughs> how do you feel when you go to Manchester? Well, I can't stand it, I never go. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hello Queen, says Nina. Having listened to your podcast from last week on my way to work, I felt the urge to write in. Uh, Fee was talking about the magic of playing in a full orchestra and the shared experience of creating something unique and wonderful together. And Nina goes on to tell us about her urge, which is this. Jane, I feel you have the right qualities to become a viola player. It fits, it feels right, and I can picture it easily. We are a unique breed of people, good sense of humour, generally self-deprecating, not taking ourselves too seriously. We leave that to the male violinists. <laughs> and my challenge for you, Jane, is to get to grade one on the viola in a year. You'll easily do it, and I'm sure you won't regret it. I can recommend people to teach you near Ealing, or I'm very happy to do it myself. Could you take up the challenge? Near Ealing. I okay. think the viola's lovely. It's less can screechy you, than uh, yeah. the Can you the explain violin. to me what uh, role the viola plays in an orchestra? Well, it, it, it's, it's bit, the viola itself is bigger and deeper than a violin, so mm. the notes don't go as high. So it's got you... a much more rounded sound to it, and they kind of tend to, to be the... It, you can, they're the bass guitar in the wind band. That's what they are. Well, if it's so lovely, why don't more people play the viola and not the violin? Because you don't need as many violas in an orchestra as you do violins, and there aren't as many pieces of music written for violas. So it's a kind of supply and demand thing. And in an orchestra, what are the traditional rivalries? Is it common for everyone to hate the first violinist? Well, I think the first violinist probably does get quite a bit of stick because you're kind of the... Is there only one? Yes, the soloist oh, okay. uh, in a pack of no soloists. So that is quite weird. But I've only played in, in three orchestras and, and obviously we were all within a peer group of students or whatever. And the first violins were just incredibly talented people. So you kind of steered away from them. The brass section, so people may really object to these stereotypes. Brass section were always funny because you don't, I don't know, there's just, there is something, I find there's something quite, kind well, of humorous about but a, also, a brass. Yes. And can we just be honest? It's like the, it's usually a fellow stands at the back with the huge drum. Oh, yes. They don't have a lot to do. Oh, no, don't say that. Well, no, but I could just, I no, could easily do that no. with almost, with absolutely no, I don't want to learn the viola, it sounds exhausting, but but just occasionally going, 
No, but that's the thing. How hard can that be? So if you got it wrong, yeah. then everyone's going to notice way more than if you just you know, oh, slightly so slip a note. It's like being the goalkeeper in a football team. In the violins, yeah. And the wind instrument people, I think, are, obviously they're lovely because those are the only instruments I ever played. And it don't make a face. Don't make a face. Uh, and I think I can see you playing the viola too. Or the cello. Well, my great aunt played the cello in a in a, a a quartet. I think it was she was in a quartet. Really, well into her nineties, she was still. Well, and okay, you might um, have the talent. This I haven't. No. This, this group uh, used to go out and entertain other elderly folk, and uh, it was Ouch. All, yeah, it was always a little bit of a family joke. Quite how entertained were the elderly folk? But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, I think it's unlikely, Nina, that this is going to happen. But mm. I should. I well, should I like keep going. Nina's P.S. P.S. My neighbour is an editor on the urology journal and they're fascinating so anything you need to know about this she's your lady we've had many interesting fire pit chats in lockdown about all sorts of things the micro penis discussion was particularly enlightening you can't just go dot 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 and then not fill yeah. us in follow-up email required there nina yeah did you keep your penis lipstick that was given to you by josh arnold from the sunday times i took it home and it's now on my mantelpiece and it's awaiting i have a friend you may laugh i have one friend and um she will genuinely welcome the gift also i know she doesn't can't be asked listening to this <laughs> when she sees it it'll be a genuine amusing moment why will she like it she's just that sort of person she just likes penises or lipsticks. No, I'm genuinely asking. <laughs> um, Here's an email from Tracy. I don't want to answer on her behalf. <laughs> <laughs> I gave mine away. I just couldn't get rid of it fast well, Who did you give it to? Eve. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, Tracy says, Dear Genevieve, it's with a heavy heart that I attach photos of my jelly mould disaster after listening to your podcast discussion about jelly moulds. I was prompted to dig out the mould that I was given by my now departed grandmother. She bought it when my son was a toddler. He'll be 21 in September. And to my shame, I've never used it for fear of such a disaster. My hope was that I could make the jelly rabbit and perhaps it could be adopted as the podcast mascot. You can see from the photos the poor rabbit resembles roadkill and is unrecognisable. Has anyone ever managed to demould a jelly rabbit in one piece? Perhaps another of your listeners could give me some tips. I think it must be one of life's great mysteries. It does look shocking, and also because you've used the red jelly there, it does properly, properly look like roadkill. And I remember having exactly the same problem. I used to put two lots of jelly into the mould. So, that, so it was revolting. It kind yeah. of tasted like... Uh, well, it had the same consistency that the jelly did in the packet. It was that <laughs> great. <laughs> but it would come out of the mould. So I'm just... I really loved some of these emails about babies. So could I just read a couple more? Absolutely. Yeah. And then probably we yes. need to get to Jimmy. Well, this is from Rachel. Um, during the birth of my second child, which was not traumatic, but just chaotic for various reasons, I think the team who managed my eventual caesarean uh, temporarily lost my glasses. Now, I'm really quite short-sighted, and so when I was handed the new little chap for the vital skin-on-skin -skin contact, everyone seems to assume you want. I could just make out his features by peering closely, but everything else was just a total blur. I wanted to protest, please, I can't see him. And I do think that reminds me that I didn't have my glasses on during the caesarean, but did put them on immediately afterwards, because you do need to see the thing, child, as it turned out. Uh, and But all the sort of, they're terrible, the photographs I've got. 
you know, in the immediate aftermath of my children's birth, because I just look shocking. Oh God, I think and, yeah. Well, actually, but that's know. another thing, isn't it? The you know people people who now insta themselves. Oh, how could, I mean, how could you? Why would you want to and keep their makeup on? And keep they've got labor. full face of makeup. Yeah. I mean, I've just got you know, if you if you wear glasses, you have never needed your glasses more because you really do want to see the, th- the child. I keep saying the thing. <laughs> That's because I'm quite cross with my children at the moment. Okay. Extensive. Have you got a quick one? Because I just want to do one, a very funny one about blood donation. Okay, this is Jules. Uh, I really loved hearing about birthing. I'm only cross because they annoyed me on mother. what was our replacement Mother's Day by going out for dinner and then just looking at their phones all the time. I can't. Sometimes, do you not just get so hacked off by phones? No. Oh. <laughs> looking at her phone now i'm not hi fee and jane i really loved hearing about birthing experiences says jules my own darling twin boys were born at half time during an england germany game my husband left as soon as they'd been delivered to watch the second half i was finally wheeled up to the ward with both babies just on the bed no bassinets no help i was convinced one would roll off it but we all survived and thrived and thrived and have a fabulous relationship not so the marriage. OK, Jules. Right, well, there we go. I mean, if he wanders off to watch the second half of a football match after you've given birth to twins... Then... I've got to say. I refer you to our earlier email correspondent, perfectly happy in a single-parent family oh, having a great time. Yes, well done. Uh, right, final one from me, Philippa in Teddington, uh, regarding your listener who considered a lockdown appointment for a smear test to be a great trip out. And Fee's admission that her smear test was a lovely break from looking after young children. It reminded me of when I had an appointment to donate blood during the first lockdown. I really did look forward to it like a holiday. I had a legitimate excuse to leave the kids at home, go on a train journey, had some lovely NHS staff attending to me. I had a lie down. Then I was given a chocolate biscuit and a cup of orange squash. I recommend blood donating heartily to those who have young children. Keep up the great work. Uh, It's a good idea, actually, because uh, our blood... Uh, donation supplies are down aren't they so if you're looking for something to do that will make you feel good about yourself good about the world and someone else can benefit from it too then just head off leave the kiddies no one can say no to that if you say i'm going to go and donate some blood no one can say no you can't do that you selfish hussy no no they're not going to say that yeah you selfish hussy (laughs) you blood doning scarlet (laughs) woman yeah hussy's a good word bring it back hussy uh, so, Jimmy Femawera was our guest this afternoon and uh, he has made a new podcast. Jane and I uh, listen by coincidence. Uh, it's not because we share a brain, by coincidence, to the same episode uh, with Stephen K. Amos as the guest. And uh, Jimmy has hit upon quite a brilliant way of asking people to talk about their cultural identity and their heritage and the podcast is called Where's Home Really? We started by asking him a little something about why he had chosen that question as the title. Yeah, the podcast is called Where's Home Really? And it is an interview podcast, but it's an interview podcast that just goes straight for those conversations about culture, heritage, identity, where we're where where we come from and why we are the people that we are kind of focusing mostly on people that just like me have got um immigrant heritage like kind of uh, second or third or even sometimes first generation immigrants and it's kind of digging into uh your kind of adoptive homelands like where you live now but also where you actually feel like you most belong to in a weird way like kind of looking at that overlap between 
the places that we feel we most identify with and that have shaped us into the people that we are. So that's it, really. It kind of, um, I, I'd say that one of the things that I hope that we're getting and I hope that we're doing is that it's it might be people that you're familiar with, like Asma Khan and Stephen K. Amos and Big Zoo, but the conversations that I'm having with them um uh, kind of uh, untangling this knot of identity are quite different to what you've heard them speaking about mm. previously. And is the way that you phrased that question, Jimmy, mm. to make it deliberately different from the where are you from, but where are you really from, all rolled into one yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think obviously that that is a very loaded phrase and question, isn't it? Like, where are you really from? But that's ultimately it. Like, you know, we've kind of differentiated it in our title, um, Where's Home Really? But, yeah, it's kind of the same thing, really. It's kind of... Um, uh, and I don't know, I guess, I guess maybe one... We wanted to kind of lean into, you know, the, the the spikiness of that question. The kind of it's it's obviously something that a lot of people are conscious of, but I think also, I, I think it's quite nice that it isn't the sort of very loaded <laughs> phrase that that you know, especially recently, has kind of like made headlines and is this quite charged um, emotional thing for people because the show and hopefully it feels like this is less about kind of being accusatory and more kind of just talking about all the different the different forms of identity that we all have and the different places that we call home and I always I always try to make this point that you know in the same way we had um, Nihal from uh, Radio One, uh, Arthur Nayaka, um, always good to meet somebody with a unpronounceable uh, surname as well I was really stumbling which was making me feel bad about all the years that I probably um, expected people to just get on with my massive syllables but anyway we we're talking to him and he was talking about being of Sri Lankan heritage but so much of it was also about being Essex and you know he's living in Manchester now he's lived there for quite a long time and I'm just always fascinated in the degree to which you know if we're in an environment far away from the ancestral motherland whatever that may be whether that's just like a part of the UK or a part of the world that that kind of concentrates that those traits and that version of yourself like Nihal was talking about becoming more Essex when he encounters people that kind of are from the place that he's from and I just think that is endlessly fascinating to me it is so mm. you've got this clever conceit as well Jimmy the way that yes. you uh, that you run the podcast which is to ask your guests uh, to define themselves and their connection with that mm. kind of sense of home uh, to do with a person a place a phrase and a plate so yeah. Can we play that with you? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, okay. of course, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we do We do give them homework to do, which, again, is always a bit, you know, it's always it's always a battle to get people for podcasts anyway. Um, so, yeah, no, we can definitely play that. Handily, I kind of have been giving one of my own ones at the start of each episode. And, of course, you know, we're quite a few episodes in now, and so I've got, like, a deep bench of them. Um, the person is probably the easiest. That's probably my mum, who is a, a figure that I reference a lot in my writing. She is hugely important to my relationship with food, and she is this... I remember describing her once as a kind of Nigerian Peggy Mitchell, and she kind of is like that. She's kind of diminutive formidable 
kind of you know the kind of the the mob boss of our entire family an incredible cook an incredible force and of course as you get older and I'm having conversations with other people who often have you know parents who were migrants and struggled like I'm realizing as I get older and now that I'm a parent myself like how much he sacrificed in the amazing value she instilled in me and my brothers and also hugely importantly the pride that she gave me in you know in my Nigerian identity as well as my you know British identity as well like I was kind of I was never allowed to kind of stray too far away from it even even though I was a you know as many teenagers are you're you're looking to kind of sand off as many edges as possible and mm. meld and when you say- the background when you say diminutive, Jimmy, just mm-hmm. how tiny? How tiny is your? She's pretty tiny. She's pretty tiny. Like, I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not the tallest, but yeah, she's. I think like if I say that like my eldest, my ten year old is is getting close. Is you know is is kind of <laughs> is gaining on her, as it were. Like you know, as uh, in, in that way of uh, the way size operates. But yeah, but but as I say, like her. I only mention her size because she's like such a sort of tireless titan and such a like force to be reckoned with as well. She's, um, yeah, she's uh, like, um, I had my book out uh, last year, which is kind of a, you know, the podcast is almost a spiritual successor of the book. It's called Settlers. It focuses on the black African diaspora predominantly west african diaspora in london and the uk like the kind of the world that i'm from and at every one of my book tour events like she cooked despite me saying i don't know if you can even bring food here mum she brought food and you know within a few moments you know at the end of, of those events she's essentially like taken over the whole thing That's and directing brilliant. people enlisting strangers to kind of help like carry these uh, these amazing uh, nigerian donuts called puff puff that it became the puff puff tour in, in 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 all but name and that was down to her really um she so yeah amazing. she'd be the person yeah she'd be the person um a phrase uh, there's there's an amazing yoruba word that um uh, in that way that we had with things like huga and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of these um, uh, words that don't have a direct translation. I don't think it has got a direct translation, but I always think of it, particularly in relation to my childhood. And it goes like this. It's called, uh, it's pele, uh, pele, like that. And it means, it kind of means sorry, but it also is like just a consoling term that like, a parent would use if you aren't feeling well or if something's not gone your way or if you bash your knee and it's kind of this it's kind of this word that yeah it's kind of more than sorry in a weird way it's kind of like i understand i feel your pain these things happen as is all as is often the case with these words that that don't have a kind of direct uh translation they seem to like carry so much Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Food. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm, what's interesting is you, you interview a lot of people and you get their choices. And of course, you, you think what your answers would be but then you also get you also get informed and you, you almost change your mind based on what they come up with. And what I've really liked, um, uh, it's not aired yet, but we did an episode with Andrew Wong, the Michelin-starred uh, British-Chinese chef. And a lot of his answers were related to his own family now, like the family he's built. And I think so often, you know, people, the way in which we kind of establish our own families and run our own households is is shaped by the way we were brought up and culture and religion and all these other things. But it's also, it can be a bit of a like indictment on like the way you were raised. You can sort of be, you can be sort of quite uh, keen to, to do things differently. And he was just talking about kind of learning the value of um, spending time with family from his wife and from his own children now. And I think my plate would probably be something that I associate with my own um, wife and my two young kids and that would be pancakes um, it's like a real Saturday ritual and I uh, I've noticed that there's a lot of uh, recipes that do this thing of saying oh we, we've saved you the time of doing pancakes one at a time you can put them all in a big dish and put them in the oven and I think that is absolutely what I do not want from pancakes I like <laughs> that they take time I like that they're methodical I think that's what makes them very special and very like meaningful and delicious and so I really take my time the kids are off somewhere I've got the paper out I've got the radio on it's a Saturday morning I'm kind of running my own sort of little fantasy diner and so uh, Jimmy yeah. sorry I've got to stop Go you on. here <laughs> just on the grounds of feminism you sent your family away so you can make your own pancakes they're for everyone else i don't oh, even eat, they're allowed i back. don't even eat oh, the pancakes okay. no 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 okay. that is the thing i barely even get a look in i'm lucky if i get the scraggly first one that's been like warming in the oven no the the family gets sent away because i just well they don't get sent away they're just in other parts of the house because i <laughs> no, you send them away we've established that i send, send them, them away <laughs> i send them far away uh for the for the weekend because i really need to lock into making these pancakes no the pancakes are very much for them and i think that's what i love about it because it's um but but i think maybe in you know in um uh, <laughs> in almost like armchair therapist style you've probably hit upon one of the secret facts that i really love about uh making that dish and that's because i am kind of left alone even <laughs> though i'm doing something that that on the face of it is um is is generous and for the benefit of my family i also get some time to myself it's good to be honest it's very good to be honest you get some points back for that um, yeah, um listening to you talking about um all those associations with home yeah, and com yeah. comfort and food mm. it strikes me i'm sure all three of us in this conversation are fortunate people who grew up in homes where we are able to associate 
that place with yeah. happiness and security and food. Yeah. But yeah. Do you, have you ever come across people who just can't conjure up a dish from their childhood? Because, quite frankly, yeah. there was nothing going on. I mean, there was yeah. very little provided. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And I think, obviously, working in the world of food and restaurant criticism and you you know you read recipes and you live in this world of it being uh, you know almost everybody having uh, there being a lot of um assumed knowledge of what people's lives were like and i think it's a really good point that for a lot of people it was just kind of like convenience and actually to be fair i talk about my childhood and I talk about like my mum like making us food and I vividly remember she would kind of get home from from her work she worked in in central London we lived kind of on the edge of southeast London in Kent and she'd kind of without with barely breaking stride she'd get home and like make us dinner straight away like shuffle straight in and like you know that is definitely an occasion of wastrel sons not pulling their weight but <laughs> but i also really do remember that a lot of it was convenience food like there wasn't kind of there wasn't always time and we were kind of grabbing what we could and a lot of it was you know clanking fish fingers or you know um yeah, uh, yeah uh, chicken nuggets into like a tray and putting it in the oven or that's the, the king of the microwave yeah the resentful clank of the woman yes, who just got back yeah, from work yeah. and then has to start the her other job when the she hollow gets in. clank yeah, yeah yeah big time so yeah i i think i i definitely uh, uh, there probably needs to be more people feeling like they can be upfront about that because i think there is this feeling that food is the possession of people that you know have got you know time to throw together some lavish Ottolengian feast and have got this kind of and are reading books and are in this world whereas like as you rightly say everyone has associations with food but they possibly aren't always the most kind of happy or kind of romanticized and you know we're seeing more and more that it, it can just be a, a bit of a burdensome thing for people and there needs to be more conversations about how unequal it is in a lot of ways and we're, you're right we're the lucky ones if we've got kind of these positive associations with food can we talk about some of your other work too mm. jimmy uh, yeah. and maybe ask some of the big questions uh, would you <laughs> um would you agree that uh the celebration of high-end food has always had uh, one cultural slant on it. That mm. Michelin-starred type of food is about one particular way of cooking food. It's kind of just European. It doesn't include anybody else's cultural diaspora at all. Mm. And it is fated, isn't it? And I wonder, yeah. coming at it with a different cultural yeah, heritage, yeah. whether you yeah. found that a bit offensive. Yeah, I... I would say that that there are it is an issue. There are attempts by bodies like Michelin and also other kind of arbiters of good taste, uh, whoever they may be, to to broaden it out essentially to kind of to push against this notion that you know French classical cooking and those established uh, European regions, culinary regions, are the only places worth knowing about and the places that are continually rewarded um i do think that you know you look at like even in london there's there's a there's a restaurant called ikoyi that you know is 
it's its own thing now, but it's it's West African in origin. It's spicings and it's flavours. There's jollof rice on its menu, and that's got two Michelin stars. So that does show that there is this attempt to kind of broaden things out. But I think the issue probably is more to do with class and money, like more so than, you know, even though the those cultural battles are still to be fought, I do think that there is, because these are businesses at the end of the day, there is that top level where you do get, you know, um, experimental East Asian or Southeast Asian or um, West African or Mexican dishes, but they're just in this inaccessible kind of uh, like upper eerie of like, you know, wealth really. And I think that that is, that's, that's interesting in the sense that it, that it informs and inspires things that, the rest of us eat in the kind of similar way to fashion that you have kind of couture at the top of it. And then you have kind of high street, uh, lines that kind of, um, are shaped by that. But I do think that we all know, and I definitely feel it like as somebody coming from a background that, you know, I didn't grow up with a kind of like restaurant going culture. And I come at it from what I'd hope is a very sort of like quite ordinary place or a place that speaks to like, people that haven't necessarily been been part of the conversation for a long time and it does inform the restaurants that I'm especially interested in the ones that I want to champion the ones that I want to kind of give a chance and I think that there's more of it but there needs there needs to be more still uh, done in that in that school Jimmy we've only got you for a couple of minutes longer mm. so can we do, can we do a quick fire round with you please yeah go on uh, what's the daftest thing these. that you've ever been uh, asked to eat in a restaurant I mean, I have eaten ants. No, <laughs> yeah, I have eaten. I have eaten ants. They, they, um, they have like a kind of a citrusy pop, and they were like from Kent, I think. It was ridiculous. Kent. But they kind oh, of well, that's fine. Right. Yeah. yeah, as long as they're the Kent ants. So. Brilliant. Um, should should anything ever be fermented? Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think fermented has become such a cliche, but that is where flavor comes from like so many of the things that that we love and that umami which is another cliche does come yeah. from things being uh, fermented and having that time to kind of steep and uh, pickle and uh, gain flavor so yeah it's it's it, maybe we need a new word for it have you ever been served something on masterchef that you thought was truly terrible because you're a very nice guy <laughs> you've gone along with it and said you know that it's really fabulous but it just hasn't worked on the day or something like that you have I, haven't you, you i have. i always try to accentuate the positive but having said that as we're talking i'm remembering i think it was an ice cream with tobacco in it and i just could not see why they had flavored an ice cream like an ashtray it made no sense and uh, it's still <laughs> haunting me to this day. Brilliant. And do you think you could ever have a fusion too far? I mean, have you had something that was kind of, you know, Balkan, Scottish, Pacific <laughs> Thai? Do we, do we need those? Does everything always work? I, I, I sort of am up for it because, again, to go back to the podcast, I think that there are so many untold stories of people having mixed heritage, mixed identities, people of one culture working with the kind of the larder of whatever's available in one country. And even though fusion is kind of like, you know, it's it's the kind of the F word that, that all critics kind of really hate. I, 
I'm sort of up for it. If it's good, if it's delicious, I'm kind of into it. Jimmy Famuera was our guest this afternoon. It was very lovely talking to him. Who knew that Kent had finance? Finance? Oh, fine ants. Ants. And we also had a great guest uh, towards the end of the show today, uh, uh, Toby. Yes, Toby, Toby the gardener. Toby Buckland, yeah. wasn't it? Talking about gardening and about slugs. Um, and I, I don't know whether the, we've got any slug fans listening, but I've never, I've actually been quite spooked by slugs when I've come across them in the garden because there's something genuinely otherworldly about them, isn't there? They're really quite vile to look at. And to see them slithering and slopping around really does slightly more than frighten me. I just think they're alien-type creatures. But his suggestion that you could drown them in beer did seem quite brutal. I think a lot of gardeners have been doing that for a long time. Have they, really? I just didn't know. Put a bucket of beer out and the snails and the slugs crawl into it. And I think you're slightly deluding yourself if you think that that is a humane way to go. Although, who knows? Uh, somebody in Kent should start breeding ants and actually give it the company name of Finance. Get it? I, I do, yeah. <laughs> um, no. Well, <laughs> well, that, ladies and gentlemen, was the tumbleweed of a close friendship. <laughs> I, get, I do get it. I mean, no, it's clever. Right, our guest tomorrow is Mel Gedroich. Oh, I can't wait to see her. Come in now, Mel. Come in now. <laughs> I think finance Fine. um, is great. Yes, yes, it's not bad. <laughs> Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. Sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com